This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Today, Pastor Matt leads us in the discussion of irresistible grace, how the call of God and his power to raise the dead guarantees regeneration to his elect people. All right. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Matt Grimm. I'm here with Thad Keenel once again on the Planet Podcast. What's going on, Thad? Good afternoon, Pastor Matt. Uh, lots happening as always. I'm here with you again and. uh we are tackling some really tough topics, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, they they are. Uh, they're things that you know Thad and I are been exposed to for many years. In some ways, we say we're comfortable with them and discussing them, even though they themselves can be difficult and uncomfortable, right? To have to digest and communicate. But it, it's our goal on the Planet Podcast and everything we do, and especially in this, is we're wanting to be as faithful we can to the scriptures. And we're trying to portray and communicate what we believe they're saying, not what we want them to say, not even in man's logic or man's reasoning we think they could or should say, but actually we're trying to say we're trying to communicate what we honestly think they do say. And and we would both say we're both fallible and we can get things wrong. And we gave an invitation last week to you know, to send in questions, right, if you have some. And so we're always open to that. But we, but we enjoy this. We enjoy the uncomfortableness. We, we enjoy these topics, even though they're difficult. And we hope you are enjoying them. Right. Too. And we're trying to also be fair to the Arminian point of view uh-huh. um, as we uh, are reading their own quotations on the subject. Right. Um, we've uh, talked to our friends that are on that side of things. We might even do an interview mm-hmm. uh, with a couple of these people so they, we can have their side of yeah. it and we can compare and the idea is that in using the scripture, how do we wrestle through these things and in which manner can we be the most right, consistent? Because right. it's all about consistency. The person with the most consistent view and the harmony of the scriptures wins the debate as long as as long as we see right. that we are not subjecting the text to our own influences, which is you know something that we stay away from, right. um, the better off we're going to be. And so that's that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. And so what are these things? I don't think we've actually named it here. Again, it's we are in the doctrines of grace, as they're sometimes called here in the Reformed faith. We've been doing this season, trying to highlight those. And we were in the midst in these last three podcasts going through the the tulip. Yeah. Uh, Paradigm, which is often referred to as the five points of Calvinism, that are a response to a document by followers of Jacob Arminius. So we're going to continue with that. But I was thinking today as well as it relates to this, because one of the big issues as we've talked about with Reformed faith is, is the sovereignty of God, the glory of God. And I was thinking about God's sovereignty today because we're recording this on Election Day here in Michigan. Uh, you and I both voted already today, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, and I'm thinking about the doctrines of grace and God's sovereignty and just this call to trust in God's decisions, in his decrees, in his plan. In and, his will. And his will, all those things. We'll probably talk a little bit more about his will today. But in some senses, what better day to trust in that than on election mm, day? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So as we go to the polls and as we vote for pe- for men and women, as we vote for proposals and and things like that that can affect the Constitution and and you know we would unapologetically say that that you know our not just our religious viewpoint as most people would say, but it's our faith in Christ that drives how we want to make those decisions in that voting booth, right? And so, but in in that is this trust in the sovereignty of God, that even if things don't go our way, even if um, the people we want elected aren't or the proposals um, passed that we don't want passed or whatever that is, that uh, because we understand that God's purposes will happen Mm -hmm. and his decree is sure, I don't have to lay up at night biting my fingernails tonight on what the results are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, right. You, right. You place your vote in good conscious understanding yeah. um, uh, that we not only in faith are believers in Christ, but because of that faith and grace of Christ, we are in union yeah. with Christ. Right. And right. what that means is that our heart 
has to be aligned with his heart, which is exposed and told us in scripture. Right. Right. And so there's very prominent things that we understand that we can't go against. The sanctity of life is a huge one of those. Exactly. Right. And so you can't bend or yield to your own morality. Right. It, when you're with Christ, you have to have your morality has to be aligned in union with Christ. And that's what we try to do. Now, it's another thing if we're voting on if you should have a stop sign or a yield sign at this intersection, <laughs> right? That's not necessarily a moral issue. Yeah. But, right. but we're talking about things that are really important. Yeah. And so, and, and we may end up having to live in a society where those moral decisions have been made poorly. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so if we do, how do we witness to Jesus in the midst of that? How do we stay true and stay confident and hopeful even in the midst of that? And that's, the, that's, that's what I'm, I'm bringing this to light for because there's, there's great hopefulness in the decrees of God, mm. not the decrees of man. Right. Right. And so in this voting time, we're hoping to influence the decrees of man. They would line up to the decrees of God. But if they don't, our ultimate trust is in the decrees of God. Right. And we can know that even if the will goes against um, the heart of God, against the way we voted or whatever, that God is glorified. Yes. Because he can't do anything but be glorified because it's the way he decreed the world and ordained the world to operate, right, to expose sin— Yep. however that might come about, to convict people of their sins, right. and then also to demonstrate the yeah. grace and the cross that's right. there for people. Yeah, exactly. And so if heartache results, if more brokenness results, we remember we don't like it, but we, have a, we, we know that it points to a reality that God has a solution for, and that solution is Jesus Christ, right? Right. And so that's what we proclaim, and that's what as we talk about these doctrines of grace, our exhortation all along has been, these should produce in us as his people a boldness to offer this hope and this truth that we have in Jesus. And so as we continue with that today, as I just want to quickly review the the three that we talked about in the last three episodes, because they, they build on each other, they're interconnected, they're related. And so we started off with the T, which is total depravity, talking about there's nothing that God identified in anyone, especially not a foreseen faith, which is the response to the Arminian view. Um, there's nothing he identified ahead of time that made him choose any of us um, based on anything about us, but it I was think his free I think, will and grace. I think you're talking about unconditional election. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, so total depravity, which is fine, because I, I actually was following you. It was perfect. But the total depravity is the condition of man in his fallen state, right? right? That in our fallen state, that yeah. the sin has... See, you don't think that I listen to you very often, but no, <laughs> I no, do. Right. No, thank okay. you. Yeah. Oh, you're right. I got ahead of but myself. Why don't you go ahead and start over with uh, total depravity? Well, no. Well, well, total depravity is the reason that there's nothing good in us for God to, right. to do. I mean, the total depravity is that we are in that state of sin. We are dead in our trespasses of sin. And our sin isn't just those things we do. It's actually that heart condition. Condition mm-hmm. that is in rebellion against God that has that is that state of spiritual death because of our sin because of the fall of man the idea of total depravity is that it is radically corrupted our spirit right yes. every every aspect right. of our body has been affected by this sin and so therefore um, it's put us in a state of being unable to reconcile ourselves to God. Right. Right. Yeah. And so our 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 mind, our will, our emotions, everything right. about us is now. And it, as we've said before, they're not as bad as they could be. So the total has to do with the scope, not necessarily the completeness. Sure. So we're not completely, but we are total in totality in every part of our humanity is, is affected. Right. But because of that, also the thoughts and the intents of the, of the human heart is wicked and we are set as enemies against God. And that manifests itself sometimes in just on, on, especially I think in a lot of the the desire to rely upon ourselves. Right. um, For doing anything good, you know, which we, we talked about in that episode too. And so then unconditional election, which uh, I mentioned is, is that there's nothing about us that God sees ahead of time. There's no foreseen faith. There's no, uh, I really like, I really like uh, Thad's heart. He's a good guy, so I'm going to do this. From no, we've already identified that's not that's not the case right. with the T. So that the this is a, a free choice of God. It's unconditional in how He elects people. And then last week uh, we talked about the L, which is limited atonement. And so 
and we used words like definite and particular as well to talk about that atonement. And so the, the basic crux of that is that in the death of Christ, that it is uh, itself definitely effective for those that he elected. And, and so that that accomplished what it said it was going to do. It's not the possibility that it may accomplish once someone believes. And this will get into the irresistible grace today. Right. Right. And so it was particularly effective for those that he has, as we'll talk about today, called that he, that he elected. And so that, that death of the cross did pay for particular people's sins, um, not necessarily for the sins of every individual in the world, because then what would God be holding against anyone, right? Right. And so, the, um, so there's a particularity to that. It is limited in that sense. The greater point is that when it talks about in the scriptures that this was paid for, that this, we talked about the word cover, the, the atone is to, to, to provide a covering, right? That that was effectual. It wasn't just possible. So we, the lang- there's the language that uses, is it, it's sufficient for all, but effective for some or efficient for some. And that leads then naturally or logically in a lot of sense to the discussion of, if, of this irresistible grace, and which is our our topic for today, the I in tulip is irresistible grace. And so how does that originate? What does that come from? Well, actually, is a response again to the remonstrants who actually said that the grace could be resisted by some men and women, resulting in their damnation. We need to define, I think, a good starting point is what grace are we talking about here? Because when I when I look at my life, I'm like, you know, I, I resist God. But I, but I also believe I'm saved, I'm, I'm regenerated, I have faith in Christ, and yet I, I seem to resist him at times. And so what's, what's this talking about? Right. Now, because some of the issues that we were talking about within the two camps of, of Reformed theology or Calvinism and Arminian or Wesleyan thought process here, a lot of these concepts are going to have a lot of overlap. And so I think one of the things that we should maybe say up front is that in this topic of irresistible grace is that we are really dealing with the relationship of God or Jesus Christ work on the cross and man's response of faith. Mm -hmm. Right. So saving faith. Yes. Right. And so this is going to be the difference because both parties would believe that Jesus Christ is the one that pays the full price, that salvation is by grace and grace alone through faith. Yes. Right. But what we're talking about today is how does man's faith um, come about? Right. And is that uh, separated from the two camps where one says, um, man is doing this on his own ability, or that faith is right. actually coming from um, a gift of God or grace right. of God, right. which is going to be effectual. And that's why sometimes when we're dealing with irresistible grace, I think you actually said this earlier, but we're dealing with effectual grace, right? Or, right, or, or, or sometimes what the, the scriptures, or, or the like the Westminster Confession of Faith calls it effectual calling. Okay. So as God calls, right. that that calling is actually effectual, effect, effectual it's effective. That it, it when God calls His elect, they respond positively to the gospel. Right, and it's so, because we have to separate the two types of grace that we're talking about, like a common grace mm-hmm. um, and saving grace. Oh yeah, and I would even maybe even I sometimes believe in that a third grace the, of empowering grace. Sure, you know the, that grace that is ongoing in the believer's life. That that we do sometimes. I mean, I think we can quench the spirit and in, in things like. that. I think that. that's all that we do before we're saved. I mean, we're constantly. Well, yeah, but even after, I think even oh. after the saved, you oh, can I see what you're saying. you can quench the spirit in your in your life, and because I, I mean, if if we believe First John one, you know, if if you believe that you're without sin, even as he's writing to the elect, to Christians, you know, that you recognition we still sin, we still need to right, right, you know, right repent and ask forgiveness and those kind of things, right? And so there's that there's that element too that that is there, but what we're talking about here as it, it as it relates to this response to the Arminian position is we are talking about the effectiveness of that um, of that call to faith 
that it does result in true faith. And, and so that is something that goes, is under the realm of God's sovereignty. That's not something that he leaves in, in man's hands. Okay, so good. So with that, we've talked about this. Um, well, it's all part of biblical Christianity, which is we say being born again, mm-hmm. which we also say is regeneration. We've been right. regenerated from death into life and how that correlates with faith. Yeah. Right. So um, how would how would we describe being born again in faith? Which one which one do we say comes first? Right, right. Yeah, so logically— And not we say, which one does the scriptures point well, to? <laughs> well, yeah, logically, it, it, it is that regeneration precedes faith. That faith, the gift of faith, which I think both sides would say the faith is a gift, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's something that is, is by grace. But, and, and so that faith is the appropriating um, measure or grounds by which, you know, this is happening, right? We're um, the, the saved by grace through faith. It's this through faith, that justification is by faith, right? Um, and so the, the question is, how does faith originate? And so that becomes the issue. So in, in the Calvinist position, that faith originates is a result of the regeneration. Right. That you faith is the faith in Christ, that saving faith is not possible apart from a new heart, a new mind, this trans this new creation that God does within us. It's actually that new creation that gives the ability to have faith. Where my understanding, and you can help me with this because you you've spent more time in this than than I did, is in the Arminian or Wesleyan view. That that is what happens is is that deadness. There's there's this act of God in this prevenient grace, which then we, and we talked about this in previous, so which produces this period of almost neutrality or this state of neutrality where then man can choose or not choose, right? Right, yeah. and so but the, but faith in that sense originates from man uh, in the sense that now we they might say well it's still a gift of God, but the the appropriation of that, the the enactment, the the taking hold of it is completed first by man, right? Who who makes that choice uh, in order to appropriate? That's faith. A, that's exactly right. And I think some of this will be able to ask my Wesleyan right, pastor friend, right, right from, from the Nazarene Church. But um, maybe with that, let's just read what the Arminian position is. Yeah, okay, go ahead. and there can always be nuances between certain camps, but this is the Arminian position right. on irresistible or on grace. Okay, it says that the Holy Spirit cannot regenerate fallen man until man believes. The Holy Spirit does all he can to bring every fallen man to salvation, but until fallen man responds in faith of his own free will, the Spirit cannot give life. Faith proceeds and makes possible the new birth. Faith gives life. So that's the Arminian position. What we can see there um, points an awful lot to man. Yeah, the, the Holy Spirit is is waiting upon man to yeah. do this. That has now now I would say that doesn't sound sovereign to me. Uh, that that now, but you could say, well, this they would probably say, well, God's sovereignty is the choice to um, leave it into man's hands, right? That you know, kind of a yeah, so, kind of a thing. So, I, so, so right, that but, could be something. Maybe he, that that uh, my right. friend would modify a little bit, right. and, that, and we'll let him. But um, but, but but the point is, is that ultimately there is there's no assuredness that that is going to happen. Correct. It does leave it open to to man's decision. The funny, the other thing that's in there that it talks about is that it's of man's free will. Right. Right. And so this must be talking about man's free will that had been given some of that prevenient grace to be in that neutral state because man in his depravity would be unable dead in his sins. Right. So, the, right. so we're missing that prevenient grace statement in here, but it, but it's, but it's implied. I, I think it has to be, unless you think man in his, in his fallen dead state that his will is able to choose God, right. right? So there has to be something, and that's where I think that provenient grace tries to enable that in some way. 
but but within that, what they're saying in that provenient grace, what that provenient grace still allows for the resisting. It's still saying that, okay, in this state where my will is now able to choose, this free will is re-given or whatever you want to say, right? And provenient grace is, is enabled in this grace that that man can resist, um, can say no to the Holy Spirit, can say can reject the gospel. So that just raises so many questions for me. But, but I just want to reiterate, which we've talked about different times in previous episodes, is if you can show me that neutral state in Scripture, if you can actually point to it and says this is this provenient grace is described here, right. I'm willing to accept it. I right. just I don't see it in Scripture. I think it's a something man has contrived to try to understand the choice. Right. It's an implicit right. as opposed to an explicit. Right. Yeah. Wide text there. Right. Let's take a look at how the Reformed position. Uh, states this about grace. It says that the Holy Spirit regenerates every one of God's chosen people, enabling them to believe. The Holy Spirit graciously regenerates every one of God's chosen people, creating within them a new heart and enabling them to freely and willingly believe in Christ as Savior and Lord. Mm -hmm. The new birth precedes and makes possible saving faith, life, Gives faith, right? And so, and so that's the issue. Is once that 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 life is given, the response is that yes, uh, because once you were, it, it would be kind of like I've been thinking about this day. Does the does this all analogies break down at some point when it comes? But you to, love them. You, you love them I, anyways. But I do. <laughs> but I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about because every once in a while we watch these medical shows on TV, you know, and and. They got these moral dilemmas and things about like people have the do not resuscitate order, right? <laughs> you know, so I've been thinking about how does this DNR order, this do not resuscitate, relate to this <laughs> in some ways. But but the idea is if if you are crashed, right? In the, think of the medical term. You know, there's no heartbeat. You're not breathing. You know, CPR has to be performed for you to live again, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and so. So what we're what prevenient grace is basically saying is God's performing CPR, you know, to a point. And then he is he's like, okay, it's like, okay, we've got a little bit of a heartbeat back left here or something. There's some kind of thing where it's like, all right, we think he might make it. Now it's now it's like, okay, Thad, we're we're performing CPR on you. Okay, he's he's there's a little bit of heartbeat. Now come on, Thad, now come back to life. Yeah. Now right. come back to life fully. You know, and it's like, oh, wait, you know, the, the CPR is being performed on him. Right. He's not doing self-CPR at any point in that. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Well, and that's why rebirth is the word that Jesus Christ himself uses, yeah. right? It's right. We're, we're talking about that mankind had no control over his physical birth. Right. That was all a monergistic, which is right. God alone event right. by the power of God and his sovereign decree that we, that we came forth, right? Yeah. Even though our parents interacted together, but it was right. still the miracle of God. In that same fashion, Jesus says, if you weren't responsible for your physical life, yeah. how responsible are you, you know, to give yourself spiritual right. life when you're spiritually dead? No, it's it's Christ who breathes life into us by the power of the Holy yeah. Spirit, and and Spirit gives birth to Spirit. I mean, that's part of the whole interaction with Nicodemus in John in John chapter three, right? right? Yeah, and that, so going. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that we're talking about there. So the the the, the thing is, is that not only the, the other issue that, that I want to bring up before we, get, I know you have a lot of scriptures to share with us. Oh, it's good. But the other issue is not only do we not at some time have to then give some assent to let that CPR be completed, you know, or that resuscitation, you know, be happen. Uh, but there's also, there also is an implication there that once this neutral state is once again achieved, what you're basically saying at some point in that thing, somebody, some people are just spiritually smart, smarter than others. If this provenient grace is happening to everyone, Assuming that's the case, if everyone has the chance, you know, then at some point during this period, it's also stating that, okay, because you and I in that scenario were both dead in our trespasses and sins. Right. But in this provenient grace period, I 
let's say I chose Jesus and you didn't, then in this period, I'm just spiritually smarter than you are. Yeah. There's something about me that just, you know, I I did it, you know, right. and Thad didn't. And, well, Thad just wasn't spiritually. I can yet. remember having that exact thought. Man, am I glad I was smart enough to, to see this gospel truth. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, in my naivety when, in middle school, for right, example. Right, I mean, it's just, and that's totally missing God's hand upon me. Right. You know, in that. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. But that's why we say that faith depends on regeneration, that order of salutis that you were talking yeah. about, not that regeneration would right. have to depend on faith right. according to the other right. position. Exactly. So, if faith precedes regeneration, then there is something about the human that is attained this apart from God. Exactly. This is the point, right? So yeah. before a person can exercise his saving faith, right? God must do something. Right. Yeah, right for them, for us. Well, and I think they would say, well, God is doing something. He's he's invite he's used the body to invite him to church. He's preaching the gospel to them. He's 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 God has given Jesus and the message is being presented. And so that's what God's doing. Right, right. Um, but if that, but when they say that, though, they leave it open to failure, and we're saying that it cannot, and that's what the scriptures are that we're going to examine. Right, and not only cannot that not fail, but still, in the midst of all that activity that I would agree is from God, there still has to be the activity within the individual soul. You have to have resurrection. Yes. Right, and we can't control the resurrection. Right. That there's still even in all that activity, there has to be the the work of the individual soul. Of regeneration and that regener and if and if faith is the preceding to regeneration, then man must have the ability to have that faith on his own, even though God's doing yes, God's doing all this work externally, but internally it's still you're still saying it's up to man. And so that's where that's where we would say, no, the grace of God even goes to and has to go to that internal measure of regeneration. Right? So so share. But before you get into some of the scriptures, I just want to read chapter 10 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, and it's just section one um, on effectual calling, because effectual calling gets to this. And I want to read this because as we're talking about this, people are going to be objecting, well, what about, so you're saying man has no choice in the matter. Well, what we're saying is the ability to choose has to be originated by God, but once that is happening, there really is something about our wills that is is involved. And I like how the Westminster Confession of Faith puts it here. So it says, chapter 10, section 1, At the right time appointed by him, God effectually calls all those and only those whom he has predestined to life. We talked about that in our predestination episodes. Right. He calls them by his word and spirit out of their natural state of sin and death into grace and salvation through Jesus Christ. So God's calling them there. You see that out of this state. Man can't do it. God's doing it. Um, he enlightens their minds spiritually with saving understanding of the things of God. Not neutrality. He enlightens them to saving understanding. Right. right? He takes away their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh. He renews their wills and by his almighty power leads them to what is good and so he effectually draws them to Jesus Christ. Mm. And we're going to talk about that word, Which draw. Word, right. um, and then the, the last sentence here is so good. It says, but they can't come to Jesus voluntarily. Most freely. Most freely, yes. yeah. Having been made willing by God's grace. Right. So it's not anything about not man not voluntarily or freely coming to God, but it is... Having been made willing, having that ability that we didn't have before. It's about giving man eyes to see the truth of God's grace. And ears to hear. And ears to hear. And a heart to receive And a heart, which is the the heart of stone. Turn to a heart of flesh. That's all regenerative language. All things that we cannot do in our own. But once they happen and we can see that true goodness, we most definitely will come. Because how can we not when we see the that, right. that truth, right? And right. That, so, so, but, so let's let's go to some of these scriptures that, that speak about this. Um, well, you mentioned the first one, so why not start there? And yeah. We've talked about this verse in the past, but in John six forty four, Jesus says that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, 
and I will raise him up at the last day. So we were talking about the the drawing of God there and that being effectual when you were just reading your statements yeah. there from Westminster. But the uh, the Armenian or the Wesleyan uh, in the church that I um, used to attend used to use this verse all the time, and I loved it. It's such a great um, compassionate verse because um, the way that my pastor used to say that is no one can come to me, this is Jesus speaking, unless the Father who sent me woos him in this way draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So there's this concept of the um, the drawing or the beckoning of God to all mankind as they hear the gospel. God's and, loving persuasion. Right, the, the persuasion of God yeah. that is um, going to woo people to themselves. So I, I can, you know, you can see that Jesus standing there and just say, my hand is outstretched for you. Come to me. All you have to do is come. I'm, I'm here. The Holy Spirit is, is doing everything he can <laughs> to, mm-hmm. I don't mean to laugh, but that's the draw right there, but that's resistible in their eyes. Okay. Right. So the question that I ended up looking up is I wanted to see what that original word for draw meant, because mm-hmm. I wanted to see how it was used in the terms of wooing. But this particular word um, used throughout the Gospel of John and in other places, it actually means to drag. Mm. So no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me drags him. This is a um, this is a forceful draw, right? Not a not necessarily a calling, a wooing call, but a forceful drawing, a dragging, and. And then here's the conclusion that we raised back um, a couple of episodes ago. What is the end result of the father's draw? I will raise him up at the last day. Right. Okay. So there we see a conclusion to those who are drawn. Let me point out a couple of these other verses um, that use this word draw. And let's see if we can use um, the wooing of the spirit uh, to them. Uh, Jesus said, and I, if I am lifted up from earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Yeah, I would say that if we're dealing with the gospel message, that there's a potential draw for for all people of the earth, especially when we're dealing with the universal all of all people in that aspect. But I think this is going to be, again, one of those things is how we're dividing all peoples. If we're dividing them as every tongue, tribe, and nation, then that um, that drawing might be a little bit more particular. But that's just one example. Here's, okay. here's another one. In John 18.10, it says this, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Okay, so the word, he drew the sword. He, he, he was drawing the sword out of the harness there. Would you ever think that we could use Simon Peter having a sword, wooed it, and then... <laughs> <laughs> and then mm-hmm. struck the high priest there. No, he actually had to forcefully do it, right? And so that's that's the term that's used there. And in John 21, 6, uh, Jesus said to them, cast the net in on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast the net and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. We can't, we can't say here they were not able to woo the fish into the boat because there were so many, right? There's, this is the description of this word and the use here is to drag. And there's, there's several more, but let's go ahead and um, I'm going to skip over to Acts because we were in John on a lot of that. Okay. In, in Acts 16, 19, it says when her, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Same word, um, drag them. Um, mm-hmm. Again, we would never use the word. You know, the authorities said, "Okay, come on, come here, guys. We need you to. We need you to come into right. the to the prison." <laughs> you know, no, they dragged them. They hauled them away. Right? It's a it's a forceful act. So, um, and then one more time in James chapter two verse six. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Again, it's a forceful drawing or dragging into the courts. So those were pretty much all the words that were the same word. When I, I, I didn't see anything that had any other uh, correlation to a wooing of the spirit, that, with the exception of the one that I had mentioned previously. So you can see there, um, not only that we're dealing with 
a forceful drawing, but also the end, the end result in John 6, 44 of being raised up at the last day. So that was a long way around the barn, but I do I did want to set this up to show that when you do some digging, you will discover a more well-rounded definition to the words. And sometimes there is ambiguity, but I don't think there is in right, this wait, case. Wait, 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 you, we, there are times that words like that can be used figuratively, right? I mean, it could be like, it's a way to figuratively talk about something like a, a spiritual reality, you know, with physical terms, right? So it could that could be the argument, right? Sure. But, but what? But I think what's significant about that is is that raising up is that um, that no one is able to come mm-hmm. is is related to that. And so is right. this the, the expression yeah, of inability of inability right. that that is there as well. And so, which I think, but I think that drawing that dragging is, is there. And, and often we think about dragging as I think one of the problems was the, the connotation becomes that that um, we we use that term in the negative sense. Uh, at times we think about, well, I had to drag my kids to church, you know, or I had to drag my kid to the dentist, or I had to drag myself to the to the uh, gym today, right? Uh, because I, I don't, didn't really want to go, but I know I need to, and so I had to, you know, drag myself there. So the so with that is the connotation of you don't really want to, right? Right, and, and, but that's not the issue here. The issue, the drawing, that dragging, and that so that drawing is taking someone um, from death to life. It's 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 we use the analogy before of someone who's drowning uh, versus someone who's in the water dead, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and this is actually this is actually taking that dead body and dragging it up out and giving it life because it can't do it itself, right? That that's the I think that's that's part of the issue. There is is we're seeing this as it's related to the inability, you know, that that becomes so important to help us say is is that using in that is this being used in that medical metaphorical way this way? And I, I it just I yeah I of course I agree with you, but I, I think the point is is that it it is related to the state of being as well, right? It, it is, and I just wanted to yeah. use that as a. Um, a way to describe how the word use kind of had been um, changed in a, in a sense to, um, to me, give me a different impression of what's right. really being said. Exactly. Okay, so that, that was really it. But I think that you were right on as you were speaking there. I mean, I was thinking about the Ephesians, by grace we've been saved through faith and not mm-hmm. of ourselves. It is the gift of God, speaking right. of that faith being the gift. And that's what we're talking about, right. that regeneration enables us to believe right so it is um before we were unwilling and now we have been made willing (laughs) so now we most freely come and once you understand that it lightens the load for us to try to figure this out on our own i think you know yeah and i think that that's you know he's giving us cosmic heart surgery (laughs) yes that's what i'm sitting here thinking i mean it's you know he's not sitting there it's not it's not like you know think of a like you've got a little pet gerbil you know, and it's dead in the cage, and you're just sitting there going, "Come on, buddy, come back to life. You can do it. I love you so much. You can do it. Come on, come back to life. I'm going to give you this great life if you just come back to life. I'm going to give you a, right. a new cage with a new wheel and fluffier sawdust, or you know, all this stuff. And then you just, I'm just going to woo you and woo you and woo you. No, you have to actually get in there and put your thumb on their chest, the little chest, and you know, put do mouth to mouth and breathe, you know, whatever it is. I mean, <laughs> no. apart from apart from really physically interacting with something that's dead, you can't woo it back to life. You have to drag it right. back. Well, right? the <laughs> reality is before that, before we have life, we have no desire to be reconciled yeah. to God. You know, so without God's perfect work, we we just would never have that desire. Yeah. And this is what we're talking about, that that grace that comes, that gives us new life. That's what the heart change is about. The heart of stone to the heart of flesh is right. about that desire change, right? It's exactly. A, it's a miracle that takes place, and it's, right. a, and it's a spiritual reality it, for it, us. It's a spiritual reality. And so, therefore, when we, when we use a physical example to talk about a spiritual reality, it doesn't negate the fact that that desire doesn't exist. 
right? Just like there's not breath in the lungs, there's not blood flowing through the body. That spirit is not, that spirit of belief, of faith is not flowing through our souls, right? Right. Apart from that regeneration. Well, exactly. And I, we used the example earlier about, um, you know, this is what monergism is about. Yes. Right. Because what did we do to bring ourselves into the physical being? There right. was nothing we could do. And the same thing is true with our spiritual re- rebirth that the, it's the work of God, you know, in our soul and the work of God alone. Again, it's the participation has to do with our will. And when our wills are totally depraved, we can't, participate. we can't, we can't participate. <laughs> right. So that awakening, but then when God renews us, when he gives us yeah. new life, we are willing participants. Do we, do we have a 50, 50 chance of participation? <laughs> no, the Bible says it's going to be a hundred percent. Right. Right. And that's, right. I think that's the irresistible part of it that we're dealing with yeah. here. And so, and we, and we, and, and so I do want to go back um, to the Romans eight passage Good. as we get to, talking about this because this is a passage of assurance. It's giving hope, this sure Christian hope that exists. And and so uh, we've started in verse 28 and 29 and 30 before. I'm just going to go straight to verse 30 because that's where we get to the heart of it here. As it says, and those who he, whom he predestined, which we, we've talked about before, that is related to that unconditional le- election, God's plan, those whom... Those whom are the elect, right? So those whom he predestined, he, all, he then he also called. So this calling, this effectual calling that we've been talking about is related to this great. When he calls, when he, he does that, he says, then those he called, he also justified, right? Yeah. And we know that justification is by faith. And so how do we get from called to justified, what what hap- what has to happen in that in that process you know paul doesn't lay it out here but what we're what we're saying because i bring up verse 30 because it, it he's he's speaking as accomplished facts he's talking about he's giving us this snapshot into the reality of what god has accomplished and it's sure right and so so we have predestined we have called and then now we all of a sudden, Paul in this, he jumps to justified. He hasn't mentioned regeneration. He hasn't mentioned faith. Why do we insert them here? Why do we insert regeneration and faith in this chain? Mm-hmm. That's my question. Why do we do that? Yeah. Because I can say, wait, but, but it's not there. Well, I think in some sense it's not there. Uh, but the, uh, there, you don't get, nobody without faith gets to be glorified. So we know that it's, it's, it's somewhere in the mix, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so there's a, there, there is an implied version of that faith there, but I think it goes back all the way to the word called there, which has to do with the drawing of God. Yes, it, it it absolutely does. So one, what we're doing in the calling is is we're talking about that 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 calling is does involve regeneration. Paul doesn't talk about it here, but he has been talking about it early. He's talking about the spirit. He's talking about being a made, made alive by the spirit. Right, and we right? know that it has to happen there because it's by faith we've been justified. So the faith has to be before justification. So it has right. to fall within that called section. Exactly. And and so and in which he he talks about, you know, throughout, you know, this section of Romans leading up to this, but if we if if we go back to um you know, cuz in, in in basically in Romans he's talking about Faith. He, he's bringing up Abraham. He's 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 bringing up the fact that we are saved um, by faith. That, that that we're just. You know, he does say saved. He said we're justified by faith. Right. That's the language of Romans and Galatians and, and Ephesians, other places. Sure. So sure. That, that just, so we know. So we're just what Paul is doing. He's already talked about this in Romans. Right. So what we're doing is we're saying okay. He said, you're justified. We know that he spent this whole time talking about being justified by faith, so we know that's involved. So the question then is, how is calling and faith related to right, this? Right. And the, the, the call that, that is there 
is what we're saying is, is the call to faith. Those he called, what is he calling? He's calling to faith. And, and those he calls, he, he justifies. And so uh, the implication then is there is that the matter of factness of this is that it's accomplished, right? The, the, the calling, when God calls, we're going to be justified. And we know that justification is by faith. Exactly. And what we've been asking with, with irresistible grace is, why, basically, why do some have faith and why do some not? Right. Yeah. And so... We already expressed this. I'm, it's because I was smarter than the guy next to me. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is silly because that's, you know, absolutely a, a, an act of pride, mm-hmm. you know? So we... Uh, we have seen so many brilliant atheists. <laughs> right. You know, it's not about intelligence. No, it, it, it's not. Uh, and so we need to, I, I think it, it's good to, you know, look at, look at some of those passages that, that help us think about this in, in the activity of God. Because all this, these doctrines of grace, as we, as we lift up the sovereignty of God, the, the point of all this is that we're giving all glory and credit to God. Right. And so that that's the um Sure. So let me just jump in this yeah. verse here from John's Gospel chapter 1. We mentioned this um uh, previous episodes, but I think it's so rich for us because it talks about those who believe and it says this in verse 12 and 13. It says, "But as many as received him, that is Christ, to them God gave the right to become the children of God." To those who believe in his name. Okay, so this is all about those who believe. So this mm-hmm. is a faith, this is a faith thing. We can say right. this is a man, right? That but listen, how are they born again? Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, right, but of God. It, this should be pretty much the last statement on on whose will it is that, that we're saved, right? It's not our will. I'm a man, it's not of my will, right. it's not of your will, but of God. Right. And so we know that we're born again, and what happens to those who are born again? They receive him. Right. I also think of the, the prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, mm. where Paul is praying for the church, and he's, he's, this follows, you know, this, we've been talking about the decrees of God, the predestination that is in these doctrines of grace that are there in Ephesians 1, uh, and then after he, he um, has laid that out, he starts to pray. He says, Hearing your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of your prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Mm. And here he's even, now we could argue this is even after the fact, but the point is, is that Paul is praying, recognizing that, that all spirit, all wisdom, revelation, and, and knowing of God has to, be, has to come from God. That God's the one giving it, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That we can't know the hope of the calling, which is faith in Christ, apart from the from God mm. giving it to us. Right. You know, and so and I don't think this is just talking about having Thad come and preach it to me. I think he's actually talking about that work because he's 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 having as give us the spirit of wisdom. And revelation. This is something that the eyes of our hearts having been enlightened. Right. That's the difference between the general call, which is the preaching of the gospel to, exactly. to everybody, and the effectual right. call. Right. And right. and so, okay, let's let's play a game. Okay. I'm gonna play a game and we're gonna the game is what call is it? Is it a general call or is it an effectual call? <laughs> okay. And let's look at some scriptures because yeah. Okay. So here's one from Acts two. Verse 38 and 39, and Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and all, and to all who are afar off, as many as our Lord God will call. That's a, that's the effectual call. That one, yeah. Congratulations, you got that right. Yeah, absolutely. So he is preaching the general gospel here, isn't he? Yes, he is. He, he's telling everybody to repent. Yeah, Re- repent and be baptized. So he can be speaking to all of you, all, all the people in the congregation uh, that are on the streets right. right now. Repent and be baptized. Right for the promises to you and all of you who are far, far off. Good. Right. 
Yep. But then he throws us in as many as the Lord our God will call. Subset. Yeah. Right? Subset. Right. So good. So that's that's an effectual call mm-hmm. because we know that what the Lord decrees and whom he calls will come. And so that's that's good. But if we would have left that off, that's a perfectly good message to preach because that's still yeah. that's still what we are called to do, if you will, right? Is to preach the gospel to every tongue people. Yeah. We don't know who the elect are. That's God's secret will, decreative yeah. will, right? Yeah, and I, it, and I think, you know, even looking at this, you know, people say, well, look, it says repent and be baptized, and then it says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, that happens after you repent and are baptized, <laughs> yeah, right? right. <laughs> right. But, I, but I think it's it's describing the nature of, I don't know that it that it is in that sense, saying that you have to do these things before you get the Holy Spirit, right? Right. right. That, um, so anyway, but yeah, good. And good. Okay. Give so another game for me. Yeah. Here's the next one. So this is easy. Romans one one. So the very beginning of Romans one, and we can see this in a lot of Paul's epistles, but it says Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Yeah. I, Sounds like a pretty particular call to me. I would think so. If if this is not an effectual call or a particular call, then Paul could have said no. <laughs> yeah. Right? We right. could have, we would not have had five sixths of the New Testament <laughs> right? after the gospels if if he would right. have chose to say no, right? Yeah. And uh, so that's that's good. All right. Um in Romans one, five through seven. Through him, this that is through Jesus Christ, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, among whom you are the called and you are called to be saints. Yeah, that... That seems to be they put a definite article in. Front yeah, that of one has the definite article for sure. Call. The New King James. I'm not sure if it's listed that way in the ESV or not, but um, right. but it's but it's there in, in the original. And I'm trying to look at uh, yeah the original so the, the uh, yeah I, I don't have my Greek New Testament right, but he is, I did. I don't know how. But again, the context <laughs> is going to point to that right from, from yeah, to right. those who who have received grace. Yes, right, and apostleship for obedience to the faith. This one is Romans nine eleven. And this says, uh, this is speaking of Jacob and Esau, by the way. It says, For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purposes of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. This one, mm-hmm. this one's got tons of context clues in it, right? We're dealing with election here, right? And yeah. we're dealing with um, nothing that they've done, good or evil, but of him who calls. But again, I think this is still a very prominent thing that it's not dependent upon the the children's physical um, behavior or their disposition prior to his calling, right? Right? No, definitely not. Because that, that's also just a, a great thing. We talk about unconditional election. I mean, this this highlights also the unconditional election, and so therefore. That that calling is is related to this too. That we see how even this this falls back even into that because it is the the effectual work of God, not related to anything even again to some foreseen faith or foreseen goodness in in, in that right. Yeah, that, right. That's right. there. So right. yeah. So it right. just it just struck me as that was there that 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 relationship is even highlighted in that. Verse sure. Too. Sure. Okay. This one's actually a little bit uh, interesting that. Um, we have something that kind of pops up in here, but it says that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable or irrevocable, depending on how you like to pronounce that. For, oh, I'm sorry, Romans 11, verses 28 through 32. I just started reading. <laughs> um, yeah, so, okay. and I'm, I'm actually might be down a, a verse or so, but uh, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet now have obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so, these also now having been disobedient, that through mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. That was a little bit confusing to read that because there's there's more to that context. But it says here that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So we, what would we say about that calling right there, that that's going to be 
Yeah, that that again is going to be the effectual uh, call. Effectual right? call, right? right? But now listen, for God, uh, for God has committed to them all to disobedience that He might have mercy on all. Oh, mm-hmm. now how about these all? How about uh, when, uh, this is just for context? Say, right? Here's here's all used two different ways, <laughs> right? Yeah, God has committed them them all to disobedience that He have might have mercy on all. All of what? Yeah, is it all of everybody? Yeah, that's a great question, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, because I, on the one hand, I'm I'm thinking, well, all who he's calling were also all in disobedience before the call, right? Right. So all the all on those whom he's showing mercy were also all disobedient. Exactly. So that's perfect. Okay, gold star for the pastor, right? <laughs> but. The idea is here is that, by on that one. <laughs> is that even in this case that he might have mercy on all the all there is describing the previous text so we have to stay within the context mm-hmm. and the all itself is a subset yeah it's describing uh, those who uh, were described earlier in the passage so, right. so and so and you didn't read verse twenty eight uh, twenty eight is with respect to the gospel they are enemies for your sake but with respect to election. They are dearly loved for the sake of the fathers. I know I skipped that because I didn't want right. to give it away too early. Right. But, well, but but right. I think that but I think that speaks to it, it right? Does. Sure. Because because here we we see that that he's he's talking about enemies, but he's basically with respect to election, dearly loved, and so we see that there, there's both sides of that. Just so in some sense, it parallels verse thirty-two, right? For God confined them all in disobedience in order that He could have mercy on them all. You know that it helps the verse twenty-eight. You know, I don't know. I'd have to look again to see is this some kind of chiasm, but there seems to be, you know, a definite parallel between twenty-eight and thirty-two. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, now speaking about two different types of of people here, the Jews and the Greeks. And this will be my last mm-hmm. example here. But in First Corinthians chapter one, verses twenty-three and twenty-four, this is what's stated here. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Yeah. Yeah, so here, verse 23, we have the general call, the preaching of Christ crucified. In verse 24, then we have that effectual call. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Right. And so it's not could be. Right, because you know, because that that's the that's the issue of resistible grace. Right. If grace is resistible, then Christ could be the power of God right. for you. We can actually see the resistible grace in that first part of that sentence, right? Yeah. Because it's 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 implied there. Uh, Christ is preached to all the Jews and all the Greeks, mm-hmm. right? But what did, what do most of them say? Uh, uh, if one one it's a stumbling block, and the other one says you're you're being foolish. Yeah, right. right. But all of a sudden, yeah. the, the, that's why that's why the gospel. It's the foolishness of the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's the wisdom of God, right? It, it's better. It's 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 crazy. Um, uh, it's just it just and, so and We got to read verse twenty five too, because I think this speaks to this. Yeah, you know, so it says, "For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weaknesses of God is stronger than human strength." Right, <laughs> <laughs> as if God had weakness. But the the you know the point is is that he's drawn that he's using hyperbole to to bring this to bring this out. But again, we have to say that without this quotes weakness of God, his grace, human strength can't do anything. Right, you know, and so. Um, well, perfect. Okay, so you said this earlier. So is it because I was smarter than the next guy? Right. Go ahead and read verse twenty six while you're there. <laughs> For consider your calling, brothers, that not many were wise according to human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were well born. But the foolish things, verse twenty seven, the foolish things of the world, God chose in order that He might put to shame the wise, and the weak things of the world, God chose in order that He might put to shame the strong. Mm. And the insignificant of the world and the despised God chose the things that are not in order that he might abolish the things that are, so that all flesh may not boast before God. And that that is that that's it. In some senses, that's the summary of all of Tulip. And we'll talk a little bit more about P obviously next week. But that is it. The the 
The idea is there's nothing for man to boast in. And I think the concern of the Calvin's disciples, right, in response to the Armenians, and I would say even by these Armenians probably weren't thinking they were doing this. I would let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Sure. But I think what the what the Calvinists are are doing is they're saying, what you're saying opens the door for man to boast. Even if you don't think you're doing that, they're saying that's what you're doing. Right. right? And if they say, well, yeah, but this is we're saying after prevenient grace, are, are we so is God given everybody prevenient grace? Well, one we have we have not found that in Scripture yet, yeah. and we're open to that. If you can find it for me, show it to me. Yeah. But the second thing is, still, if let's let's assume that that is there. If it is there, then there's still you're still opening the door for some kind of boasting because it's it's still okay. God did this prevenient grace, but I still chose, and Thad didn't. And so the fact that Thad doesn't and I did. And it's not on God's regeneration. There's still whether or not that person is actually going to boast or not. You know, I mean, but I, what we're still saying is there's still some kind of wisdom or some kind of spiritual strength, some kind of um, of eyes that see versus eyes that don't. That's relying upon Thad or Matt to make that choice. And I think the what the the writers of the tulip document are saying is if you leave that open then man can boast right right okay so in summary what we're saying about irresistible grace is really that it's the effectual call it's something when right. when when god all those whom the father gives to the son mm-hmm. right called by the gospel message will definitely come yes freely Freely and willingly. And willingly. Right. Because, why? Because their stony heart's been turned into flesh. They've been given eyes to see, ears to hear, right? right? And so now we most freely come and all to the glory of God. Nothing in ourselves. And and I want to just kind of close a little by highlighting in some senses what, what, you know, and many Reformed folks would say this, this is kind of, we're talking about theology of this process that's happening, Right. Right. And, but in some senses, we are able to do this in retrospect, in, in the sense that we have this, because, I mean, the eyes of our hearts have been in, enlightened to the Scriptures, and we're trying to drop what the Scriptures are saying. But the point is, is it's not like while this is happening, the human is sitting there saying, I wonder if God's called me. I want, you know, I, am I one of the elect? No, they're responding. Their hearts, when God makes alive, the heart wants it. The heart. So, so when that gospel is being preached, and that person sitting in the pew, or they're or they're listening on the radio, or they're reading that book, or they're reading their Bible, and the Holy Spirit starts to work, and that regeneration happens, the heart wants it, and there's a response. And the, and the question is, how do I get this? I want this. I believe now. I have faith. You know, it, it just it happens. Right. And so, mm. it, you know, that's that's the thing that's that that. We're describing that, and I think that our Arminian, our Wesleyan friends would, would see the same thing and, and believe the same thing in that sense that, that, that we're not trying to somehow break this down in such a way that we're negating the fact that the heart wants what it wants. We're just saying the heart wants what it wants because God enables it. And once it does, I think the testimony we see in people is that it's irresistible. Why do, why do you? I'm not resisting it because I want it. I love it. I see the the glory of the gospel. I see the mercy and love of God. I see that agape, unconditional love that that He's offered in Christ. And and I and I'm like, yes, right. right? And don't you see how that's irresistible, right? And right. if if you know that, can't you say, why would I want to resist it, right? right. Do, do any of you right now who who would hold to some kind of resistible grace, right? Would you right now, knowing what you know in Christ, have any desire to resist it? Would you want to turn away from it? I don't think you would. Right. If you have that true, genuine faith, because you know how wonderful it tastes. Right. But we could point to some that say, well, it sure appears some people came to church for a while. Yeah. And now they've left and they've they've left the faith altogether. We would right. call those people apostates. Yeah. But we would say if that's true. We would just point to the scriptures and get and say, "Well, the reason that they left us is because they were never of us." 
Yeah, I mean, you know? we can we can deceive ourselves at least up at least up until a yeah. point in time. So right. so that's what I wanted to say. So from both sides of our camp, the Wesleyan and the Armenian sides, uh, Wesley Armenian and the Calvinistic or Reformed yeah. side of things, the message is going to be preached identical because yeah. it's the gospel message, right? right? And so for us not to lose hope. That message is going to be received. The gospel is going to go out, and it's going to it's going to be received one of two ways. People are going to receive it. They're going to be regenerated, and, and they're going to be made willing, and they're going to right. they're going to step out in faith most freely, or they're going to resist it, yep. right? And so they might turn away right. from it. Or the answer could be because God saves people in time, right? That it might just be not yet. This it is, can be not yet, and this is God's timing exactly. as well. God's going right. to work things out in His perfect timing, right? So we don't lose hope for family, loved ones, no. friends, right? Because absolutely not. Because we've seen people ourselves, you know, that have over time yes. come to the gospel truth and just said, "Wow, it just—I don't know what took me so long. I, I, I was hearing it. I was—I wanted to do something. I was resisting. I wasn't getting. It. And then all of a sudden, now, right. now I'm drawn to this exactly because why because god did that because work. that's the work yeah. that's the perfect and, and and to get to that earlier question you or the you raised just a, a few seconds ago of, in terms of what well i know about the people that turned away we'll come back next week we'll talk to that in the perseverance <laughs> that's exactly right <laughs> all right we'll see you next time have a good week everybody bye sure to join us next time as we continue our look at the final letter of tulip p for perseverance of the saints planet is a cornerstone epc production connecting to god one another and the world through the love of jesus more information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com